I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I am your host, Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to be taking a look at lake monsters. I don't like the term monsters, but we'll get into that in a minute, but first we have shout-outs. That's right, the very first thing I always want to talk about on these episodes are my patrons. The ones that are making this show better. The ones that show support to me and get my undying love. My favorites, if you will. So head on over to Patreon to support this show and get exclusive content. There has now been an exclusive video that is a tour of the Houdini estate and mansion that you can only see on Patreon. And also a full episode, a full episode of Paranormal Almanac that is just for the patrons. In my opinion, it's a pretty damn good episode. They seem to like it too. Not only that, but the first 25 patrons to Paranormal Almanac will get a keychain designed by yours truly. I've got a buddy that's got a laser printer, and he's going to help me out whether he knows it or not. Uh, And we're going to get these keychains made and sent out to the first 25 patrons. It's the only way to get them, and only 25 will... Well, I was going to say only 25 will be made, but at least 25 will be made because... I mean, at least 26 will be made, because I want one, too. If I'm going to go through all the trouble of making one, I want one. And then if my buddy lets me use his laser cutter, or my other friend lets me use her laser cutter, I should probably get them one, too. So, look, unless you know me personally or helping me make the keychains, the only way to get these keychains is through Patron, the first 25 patrons. And that's not all that you get. Like I said, there's exclusive content, exclusive videos, Early access to see what the next episode is going to be about. I'm going to do a lot more fun stuff. In fact, this weekend, I'm going to be at AlienCon, and I'm going to do stuff just for the patrons at AlienCon. I don't know what yet, because I'm not there. But before I get to AlienCon, let me do a special shout-out to my patrons. We got Dill. We got Laura. We got Daniel. And we got another Laura. I'm trying to collect all the Lauras, so if you're a Laura and you listen to this show, please become a patron. i got to collect them all. But uh, Dill is a brand new patron. Thank you so much for subscribing. Uh, Daniel, you've been with us from the very beginning. Laura and Laura, you've been with us from the very beginning. Thank you guys so much. You get to ask questions. You get to make show suggestions. If there's a topic you want to hear about on Paranormal Almanac, that's the place to do it. I get a ton of people that ask me to do a specific topic over on Facebook, which I'm loving the chats I'm having on Facebook. I got to say, I have some of the coolest fans that have some of the best stories, but the quickest, easiest, best, most guaranteed way to get me to do a topic on Paranormal Almanac is on Patreon. So again, thank you guys so, so much. I also want to do a listener shout-out as well. Two, actually. 
The first one is to Jen. Jen uh, not only contacted me on Facebook, she sent me an email, really in-depth email, a fantastic story that I'm hoping she'll let me share with you guys. I love chatting with you. Another one is Angie. Angie and I have been talking about a little bit about uh, different books, paranormal books, what we should buy, what you shouldn't buy, what you should stay away from, who's got the best stuff. And I love, love chatting with people about paranormal stuff. So please reach out. And there's been others, too. I've had a number of chats on here, but those two were the newest ones. So I wanted to give them their own special listener shout out. Okay, let's get over to AlienCon. This Saturday, June 16th, I will be at AlienCon. They were nice enough to invite Paranormal Almanac to attend their convention. Now, I don't really know what's going to be involved with my little pass that they're giving me. So hopefully, I'll be able to talk to some people, talk to some of the panels, meet some of the guests. At the very least, I want to meet you guys. If you're a listener of Paranormal Almanac, come and find me. I'll post what I'm wearing or whatever. It's not hard to spot me. I'll have a gray hat on. Um, I'll have a ton of Paranormal Almanac stickers on me that I'll gladly sign and give away to anybody who wants one. But I also love to just chat and hang out, have a drink, whatever. But uh, AlienCon, it's in Pasadena. It's this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They got some of the best guest list. I got to say, from when I first talked about it until now, they've really upped their game. David Duchovny is going to be there. Sean Astin from Stranger Things. They got a bunch of people from Lost in Space, the new and the old, not to mention Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek. A ton of people. I am very excited for not only the celebrities from the TV shows and movies, but also the guests. They got that guy that says it was aliens. You've seen the meme. Giorgio Solakas. He's going to be there. They've got a lot of very cool ancient civilian experts, investigative mythologist, British government UFO investigator, ancient civilization technologies expert. I don't even know how one becomes an expert, but if I meet the dude, I'm going to ask him. They got some great authors. They have an Egyptologist that's going to be there. There's a lot of really neat. They've really, like I said, they've really upped their game, made this convention that'll be worth going to. There are, some, there are some day passes still available for Friday and Sunday. It looks like Saturdays might be sold out. I can't really tell. But if you're going to get a ticket, get it now. Go to thealiencon.com slash tickets, and that'll get you the tickets. Like I say, if you're going to be there, please let me know, because I would love to chat and hang out with everybody. Another thing that's coming up, is called Watch the Skies Group Art Exhibit, and it's very local to me. It's in Burbank, California, and it's at the Hyena Gallery. It's from June 1st through the 30th, and it has original artwork for sale, and it has some amazing things. There's a thing called Skinny Bob. It's a hand-painted cast resin sculpture that I would love, so if anybody wants to buy me one of those, I will give you a keychain. Um, there's another thing called the UFO that's awesome. There's a lot of cool paintings, sculptures. It looks like it's going to be a really cool exhibit. I'm going to go to this as well. And again, I'll be posting a lot of the stuff on Patreon when I go to these kinds of exhibits. So again, it's worth it to go to Patreon. But Hyena Gallery, it's at 1928 West Olive Avenue in Burbank, California. You can go to hyenagallery.com. H-Y-A-E-N-A, hyenagallery.com. 
take a look at this stuff. They got a lot of really cool stuff. I don't think you need to be there to buy it. I think you can buy it online. So if you see something you want to buy, message them. It's got a lot of cool stuff. Okay, let's move on from that kind of news to to international news. And it's keeping with this edition's theme. An international team of scientists plan to dredge Scotland's Loch Ness next month. Now, they aren't technically seeking the Loch Ness Monster, Nessie as she's well known, but rather its DNA footprint. What they're doing is they plan to sail the entire loch, collecting water samples at various depths, which should be full of DNA fragments from whatever lives there. As far as I'm aware, this is the first time they're going to use DNA evidence to try and prove that the Loch Ness Monster is real. They're also going to do the same thing at two nearby lakes as control groups and then analyze the DNA to see what sort of things really live in Loch Ness. Now, they predict that they will find a new species of life, but they're talking bacteria, not some ginormous sea monster. They also hope to collect data on an invasive species of Pacific pink salmon, but... But they know the questions they're going to keep getting, so they also explain they're going to be on the lookout for strange DNA sequences and and thinks that the team would even be able to tell if they scoop up the genetic sequence of a plesiosaur. And if you don't know what that is, that is the dinosaur that is supposedly extinct, but that's the dinosaur that many people believe is the Loch Ness Monster. Now, the team says it does seem improbable. And they have a very good reason to think that because the lock would have iced over several times in the 50 million years since plesiosaurs supposedly went extinct. All right, that about does it for news this week. Let's get right into this. We'll be talking about lake monsters. Well, to get more specific, because I don't like the term monster, we'll be talking about cryptids that have been spotted in lakes, locks, rivers, the ocean, basically anywhere there's water. And I want it noted that this episode is actually a listener suggestion episode from listener Jake. So, Jake, I told you I'd get to it. It took me a little while. You're going to find out the specific lake monster creature. I hate both of those terms, but we'll sit, we'll stick with lake monster. You're going to find out the specific lake monster that Jake actually brought to my attention and wanted me to do a little bit more deep dive digging into. Thanks again for the suggestion, and this episode has a lot Sea serpents, here there be monsters, here there be dragons, no matter how it's worded, lake monsters have been talked about or written about for centuries. Ships were taken down to the bottom of the oceans and lakes because of sea serpents or monsters, and sure, there's explanations including the docile oarfish, whales being spotted, large eels, catfish, and other known animals, but some have never been explained. Even after all the research, the writing, the rewriting, the rabbit hole I went down repeatedly for this episode, some haven't been explained. But before Nessie was even mentioned in Loch Ness, people from around the world have been talking about spotting unknown creatures in waters. Let's get right to it, skeptics. We don't know how long these modern-day dinosaurs could live, nor do we know how they reproduce. 
So let's calm it real quick with the whole, to keep a species going, there has to be this many of it. And since they're so big, their metabolism would have wiped out the native fish and wildlife in the area so they couldn't survive in the yada, yada, yada lake. I get it. I saw it on every website I went to about this topic. The fact is, we don't know. We barely know how long sharks live for. Look, we didn't even know about giant squids, something that we know for a fact does exist and has been seen for hundreds of years, but we didn't even know, we didn't even have proof of giant squids until very recently. So the oceans are really deep. A lot of these locks have been around forever. These lakes have been around forever. These bodies of water have been around forever. So, skeptics, let's calm it with that for right now. You can still shout out about this episode all you want, but let's calm it about that. And since I'm talking to the skeptics right now anyway, yes, I know that the famous Loch Ness photo is a known fake. But that doesn't account for every photo. Yes, I also know that sea lions, logs, waves, debris, globsters, listen to a previous episode if you don't know what a globster is, eels, sturgeon, and other known things have been mistaken for sea monsters. But again, this doesn't account for every sighting. In fact, sightings go back centuries in multiple locations, and this is very important. Indigenous peoples from around the world have tales and stories about sightings. They are not trying to do this for tourists. They were not talking about this for money. They weren't doing this for attention. These tales from the indigenous people were warnings were warnings of known creatures in the area. They did it to protect themselves and their tribes. So again, skeptics, feel free to listen to these tales, see if you can debunk them all, and if you can, you have one up on science, because almost every year we discover something that wasn't supposed to still exist, and scientists everywhere say we don't know anything about what's in our oceans, and like I said earlier, how old most sea creatures are. Now, I'm going to try and avoid the obvious ones on this edition, so don't expect to hear a lot about Champ or Michaelium Bembe or even Nessie from Loch Ness herself. I want to look at some of the other lake monsters in the world. So with that, let's start with the first one. And the first one is known as Isabella of Bear Lake. Now, this one is in Idaho and was first spotted by a Mormon pioneer in the 19th century. And this one even had Brigham Young himself send a hunting party after the possible plesiosaur. With the latest supposed sighting happening in 2002, it's reported to resemble a serpent, but with legs about 18 inches long, on which it marauds along the shoreline. Now, an 1868 article in the Desert News announced that Indians have a tradition concerning a strange serpent-like creature inhabiting the waters of Bear Lake. It seems that this water devil, as the Native Americans did call it, was mentioned, but very briefly and not very specifically. Now, this story from 1868 did say, The water devil, as the Indians call it, has again made an appearance. A number of our white settlers declared that they've seen it with their own eyes. This Bear Lake monster, they now call it, is causing a great deal of excitement up here. 
And then the author, Joseph C. Rich, went on to relate several sightings of the creature in recent times. But let's pause right here because years later, Rich has said he made the whole thing up. Now, even though there are stories of Native Americans talking about the Bear Lake monster for about a century, he could have heard the Native American tales, and again, they're very scarce, and just made the rest up. But I'm going to keep going with this one for another second, because sightings of Bear Lake Monster, just like Nessie and Champ and numerous others, are great for the tourist industry. See where I'm going with this one, skeptics? I fully admit that saying you have a lake monster will bring people, and more importantly, money to your town. So, yep, I understand why sightings can be false, and I'll say the more and more I research the Bear Lake Monster, it does appear to be fake. It is just a way for a town to make money off of tourists. The sightings and descriptions aren't very uniformed at all. And from what I can find, there isn't very compelling evidence for the Bear Lake Monster at all. So this very first one on this list, in my opinion, Isabella of Bear Lake, the water devil, is fake. Sorry, Idaho. The first one on this list, in my opinion, from everything I can find, does not exist. So let's move on to another legend, and this is the legend of the monster of Honey Island Swamp in eastern Louisiana. And this one goes back to its first reported sighting in 1963. So, right there, red flag, it doesn't have a huge history, 1963. Now again, Native Americans in the area have older stories of Latiche, as they call it. The Cajuns in the area prefer the name Tainted Keter. And he first claimed sighting again in 1963 by Harlan Ford, who was a retired Air Force controller and who had taken up wildlife photography. This is where it gets interesting. After his death in 1980, so not while he was alive, he wasn't trying to do this to try and make any money because none of this was discovered until after his death. So after his death in 1980, a reel of Super 8 film showing the creature was allegedly found among his belongings. Now, I've seen the footage, and it does not look... If you showed me this footage without information behind this is the legendary monster of the Honey Island Swamp, if you just showed me this footage, I would say it looks like a Bigfoot more than a swamp monster to me. It's hairy, it's walking fairly quickly through the woods, but unlike the Patterson footage of Bigfoot of Sasquatch... This one is easier to fake if it is indeed fake. One of the most popular origin stories for this one is amazing, but it's complete BS. The origin story for the monster of Honey Island Swamp in eastern Louisiana is this. In the early 20th century, there was a traveling circus traveling by train when all of a sudden there was a train crash and the chimpanzees escaped from the wreck. As with all escaped chimpanzees, they then started breeding with local alligators in the swamp. Now this, uh, now this obviously resulted in a sort of reptilian ape creature with webbed toes that became Tainted Keter. Tainted Keetery? Nah, I think it's Keter. However, others think that the sightings are just a myth or people possibly seeing local hunters in ghillie suits. If you don't know what a ghillie suit is... If you wear a ghillie suit, you look camouflaged to animals. It's a big, furry, mossy-looking, weird-ass suit. 
Just Google ghillie suits. Why am I trying to describe it to you? Anyhow, they think that a lot of these sightings are just hunters in ghillie suits. And I got to say, I'm very inclined to believe that. The way that the creature was walking in that footage doesn't exactly scream Sasquatch to me, but it doesn't exactly scream a man in a suit either. So I don't know what to think about that video. Do I believe it's an escaped half circus chimp, half alligator? No. I believe in a lot of weird crap. That is not one thing that I do believe in, though. Do I know what people keep seeing in the swamp here? Nope. No idea. I would be more inclined, if you ask me what I think that some people could be mistaking besides the hunters, there are other sightings, what could they be seeing? I would be more inclined to think it's a skunk ape or a Sasquatch. So, not exactly a lake monster, but it still qualifies as an unknown creature seen in a body of water. Next up, we have Walgren Lake, formerly known as Alkali Lake, and it's a 50-acre body of water that's renowned for its bullhead and largemouth bass. And, I gotta say, they are huge in this body of water. Now, it's located in central Nebraska, and in 1923, an eyewitness account from J.A. Johnson claimed that he and two of his buddies had spotted the creature moving through the water from their campsite on the shores of Alkali Lake. They reported that it was a single-horned, alligator-esque creature that was 40 feet long with grayish-brown scales and spikes and a horn like a rhinoceros right between its eyes, and it let out a dreadful roar from the water. Now, they said that it also had an atrocious smell. As soon as it spotted them, it started to thrash its tail and let out a roar. It apparently, It's apparently a very hungry creature, though, and it devours anything in its path. All of the stories about the alkali lake creature is that it eats everything. Mostly the everything has been livestock. Now, sightings peaked in the 20s, but have since faded away. So this one doesn't have a lot of evidence to support its real... But I do have to say, it's a very localized legend. And there are a lot of these where, for a very brief amount of time, they were seeing a creature over and over and over again. This one did have a number of sightings. I don't know what to think about this one. So let's move on to this next one that is 1,000% fake. Don't worry. Again, I've got more. Now, it's called the Brosno Dragon, and it's from Russia. Its first appearance was in the 13th century, about 270 miles from Moscow. It's a 16-foot-long, iridescent dinosaur or dragon-looking creature. Let's stop right here for a second. I'm going to pause right here because while doing research for this one, websites can't even agree on where the lake is. If you go from this website to this website to this website, all about the Brosno dragon, they all are off. It took me all of two seconds in Google Maps to figure out where the lake was. So crypto websites, if you're listening to this, take two seconds, do some research. If you're going to talk about stuff, at least try to figure out if it's real or if the facts you have are even remotely factual. But anyhow, back to the Brosno Dragon. And another thing, they all seem to share all of these anonymous stories from, quote, the same village people. From what I could find, they were all made up around 2002, and none of them are real. So, again, take some time, do some research. But anyhow, back to the Brosno Dragon. 
So many people treat the existence of Brosnia, as it's also called, skeptically, and still say that the creature may be a mutant beaver or a giant pike of about 100 to 150 years old. Others conjecture that groups of wild boars and elks cross the lake from time to time, and that's what people are seeing. I'm more inclined on the latter. I don't think the dragon is real, although I have to say that wild boars and elks are not iridescent, so... Huh? Now, there are some more scientific hypotheses concerning Brosnia. One of them is a gas version saying that when hydrogen sulfide goes up from the lake bottom, it makes water boil up. This boiling, in turn, resembles a dragon's head. But the amount of hydrogen sulfide must be considerable to produce this effect. Other scientific theories say that there is a volcano in Lake Brosno that makes ejections on the water surface from time to time. Now, it is well known that there are several fractures at the bottom of the lake. The depth and the direction of the fractures cannot be defined. So, this one also is a good possibility as to what people are seeing. So, it's not ruled out that the volcano crater is inside one of these fractures. Explains why the volcano, if it actually exists, has not been discovered yet. Very interesting. Now, fishermen say that the underwater world of Lake Brosno has a structure of several levels. From time to time, perch can be found in the lake. Which is very odd that all of a sudden they just find perch. Herring can be found in the lake at certain regions. And some consider it really strange that sea fish may live in the lake at all. There are a lot of weird things about this lake besides the creature. So... Even though I don't believe the dragon exists, this lake is very bizarre. One of the odder things also is that huge smelt shoals are reflected on the water surface through refraction of light and produce the effect of a huge reptile head. Physicists say that any mirage appears in hot weather. And this is very interesting. Almost all of the witnesses that have ever seen the Brosno dragon have come across it in summer. So again, there's a lot of really weird theories as to what is the Brosno dragon. I don't believe it's an actual dragon. But let's get back to the history of this thing. The local legend was that the Mongol army was on its way to invade Novgorod when their leader, Batu Khan, allegedly stopped his troops on the shore of Brosno to rest and allow the horses to drink. Now, they were horrified to see an immense roaring beast lunge from the black waters to devour both the animals and the soldiers alike. And apparently, the only reason that the Russian people around there were still alive was because they were saved by the appetite of this, quote, lake dragon. If that wasn't odd enough... In World War II, the lake monster got into the action then, too, and swallowed a Nazi airplane, well, technically its pilot, that apparently attempted to make an emergency landing in the water. Now, I don't know why the Brosno dragon keeps fighting off the bad people, but if you're real, keep fighting Nazis. Good on ya. Now, in the summer of 2002, research experts in the area went for an expedition and did echo deep sounding. The result of this experiment has yielded perhaps the most peculiar development yet. Because what they found in the depths of the lake? Well, they say, echo deep sounding, registered an anomaly. There was a huge jelly-like mass of a railway car size. And it was landed five meters above the bottom. The mass stood motionless. 
We waited for some time and then decided to make it move. We threw an underwater petard, a low-capacity explosive device. When the device blew up, the creature started to slowly go up. We stared at the water, and it was clear. There was nothing resembling a monster. However, something unusual was still felt in the lake water. So whatever the hell that thing was that came to the surface, nobody knows yet. With that being said, based on all of the research, all of the photos, the videos, everything I can find, I can't find anything to make me think that this lake monster is 100% real. The lake is only 140 feet deep. And for reference, Loch Ness is 745 feet deep at its deepest point. I will say, though, the coolest thing I could find about this lake that is real, that it has a sunken church on the western part of it. So that lake does hold some secrets and does have some stories. Does it have a dragon, too? I don't know. Okay, next up is one I just don't know what to think about. It's called the Hook Island Sea Monster, and it is a very famous sea monster photo sighting. The pic is of a guy in a, like, long canoe or boat... And in the water coming towards the camera is a ginormous 30-foot-long tadpole-looking thing. I will say that this one is very unique because this is the only sea monster ever to look like a ginormous tadpole. All of the other ones are very plesiosaur-looking or very dinosaur-looking. So I will say that the tadpole appearance, because it's so unique, also makes me wonder if it's real. And if you guys hear a humming in the background, I just had to turn on the air conditioning. It's about 90 degrees in here right now, so I didn't want to die while telling you guys about a giant tadpole. The photo was taken in 1964 in Australia, and the photo looks legit. Now, that's not to say the creature's real, but the photo doesn't look altered at all. There are some that think someone took a black tarp and weighed it down under the water for the picture... And there is only the three known pictures of the Hook Island monster. So the fact that it looks like a giant tadpole, the fact that there's only three photos, the fact that these photos are very clear is very interesting, but I'll get to that. I will say that the best known photo of the Hook Island sea monster is very familiar to many. You guys have probably seen it. I'll show it on Facebook so you have an idea of what I'm talking about as well. It features a gigantic tadpole and it was encountered in the Stonehaven Bay on Hook Island in Queensland. And the photo was taken by Robert Lesserick and his family and a friend during December of 1964. And you have to remember when looking at this photo, immediately you're going to say, Photoshopped. Well, again, the photo doesn't appear to be altered in any way, shape, or form, and there was no Photoshop. So here's the story. Lesserick and his family and their friend had bought a motorboat, and they decided to spend three months on Hook Island. They were all crossing Stonehaven Bay on December 12, 1964, when his wife spotted a very strange object on the lagoon floor. That object, obviously, was a very large tadpole-like creature, estimated to be about 30 feet long. They took a few still photos, gradually moving closer. Eventually, Lesserick and his friend got even closer to film it. They got in the water, which, side note, is stupid. But anyhow, they got in the water and it was even larger than first thought, over 75 to 80 feet long. It didn't move and they suspected it might be dead. 
But just as Lacerac began the filming, it opened its mouth and made movements towards them. They returned to the boat immediately, and by the time they got there, the creature had moved off. They did seem to notice a large pale region, which they interpreted as a wound, and it was visible on the right side of the tail. It looked like it was hit by like a propeller or something, and it caused the animal to take rest and refuge in this shallow bay. And that all makes sense. Manatees do it, whales do it, that makes a lot of sense. Now the eyes located on the top of the head and well away from the front of the snout were pale and possessed slit-shaped pupils. You want to have some fun? Say possessed slit-shaped pupils. The creature was mostly black in color, but it did have brown transverse stripes and his skin was smooth in texture. They didn't see any fins nor spines of any kind, and they didn't see teeth inside the wide mouth. Now comes the hmm, I don't know part. A closer look by me of one of the photos does make it look like a little sand is on the top right part of its head. So I can see why a lot of skeptics say the tarp under the sand theory makes sense. Plus, like I said, it's the only known sighting of this creature ever. Nothing like this has ever been seen since. So I'm very torn on this one. On the one hand, I would kind of want to believe it, but I don't know if I trust Lacerik the more I research him. The fact that there's only a few photos, the fact that they got out of their boat to go towards this ginormous 80-foot-long tadpole, I mean, they might be... They might have been crazy enough to try it, but it just seems stupid. So I don't know if it's real or not, but the photos and, like I say, the story are very compelling. So for that one, I'm putting that in the, that might be a sea creature category. But let's end this one with Cadborosaurus from listener Jake. Cadborosaurus gets his name from where it resides, and that's the Cadboro Bay in Greater Victoria, British Columbia. And I got to say, Jake, you were 100% right. The story of Cadborosaurus is a great one. There have been hundreds of sightings. And depending on who you believe, an actual body, if not more, has been found. That's right. There's a photo of a body of a Cadborosaurus. But is it real? So let's get into this one. Nickname Caddy, and I'm going to call it Caddy from this point on because I have a really hard time saying Cadborosaurus all the time. This one, again, comes from the British Columbian coast of Cadboro Bay. Now, Caddy was described as a long, serpent-like beast with flippers, hair on the neck, and a camel-like head. It could have been anywhere from 40 to 70 feet long in length. This one has had a ton of sightings. Like Loch Ness, there is a lot of sightings and some proof. In fact, there have been over 300 claimed sightings during the past 200 years alone. Caddy does have indigenous people origins, too. They actually carved caddy-like carvings on the front side of their canoes to ward off the real caddy, and they also have petroglyphs that seem to depict a very large sea serpent. There is no other way to say it. It's of a, it's a petroglyph of a sea serpent from the indigenous people from hundreds of years ago. Plus, there is a tiny island that the indigenous people named and I'm talking hundreds of years ago, named the Island of the Serpent. So there is a lot of evidence that would suggest that something has been seen in this area for hundreds of years. 
Now, the first reported sighting, the first, quote, modern sighting of Caddy that I could find are sketchy. But again, that's because people don't do their research online. So it was definitely in 1933 by either a Victoria lawyer and his wife on a cruise in their yacht or by Major W.H. Langley and F.W. Kemp plus their families when they were sailing off Chatham Island. There's a lot of confusion as to who saw it first, but they described a horrible serpent with the head of a camel. They said it was as long as their yacht and didn't resemble any known creature. The Langley-Kemp version, in my opinion, from the research I did, was probably technically the first caddy sighting, but it seems that they were afraid of ridicule, so they didn't report it until after the other sighting was reported in a newspaper. So, depending on, again, where you get your information from, it's definitely in 1933, but it's Langley that was a lawyer and his wife was on a yacht. Sometimes it's Langley and Kemp are together for the following sighting. It's very confusing, but again, the point is, in 1933, there were at least two sightings of Caddy that sparked this modern sightings of a sea creature. What they saw was not more than 100 feet away. The dome of a creature's back breaking the surface of the water. It was the size of a large whale, but in other respects, entirely different. These people had seen whales in the area. In fact, there are a number of whale sightings in the area. But they said this creature was completely different. It was dark greenish-brown, with serrated marks along its back and its sides. It disappeared quickly, but Kemp had actually seen it before. It had happened in approximately the same area in the previous year, maybe early 1933, if not late 1932. This was in a narrow channel with steep rocks on one side. As he was watching, a creature shot its head out of the water onto the rock and moved its head from side to side, appeared to be taking in its bearings, and then fold after fold of its body came to the surface. Now its body towards the rear appeared serrated like the cutting edge of a saw. Its movements were like those of a crocodile. It had sort of a mane around its head, which drifted around the body, and he estimated the creature to be at least 60 feet long and about 5 feet thick. So once again, not a sighting from a distance, not a, is it a log, is it a creature, I think it might be a sea lion. No, that's definitely two tires. No, none of that. He had an, a very close encounter with this sea creature. Now the creature, now Caddy showed itself again in 1934 when two members of a provincial government reported seeing it. And it was the same description as the first. That's the other thing about Caddy sightings. They are very specific and seem very uniform no matter when the sightings take place. Later that same year, 1934, two fishermen saw two monsters in the bay, one about 60 feet long, the other half that size. So skeptics, you got two. If you got a boy and a girl, you're going to get more. So let's keep that in mind. A rather interesting sighting was made by two hunters as they tried to recover their wounded duck. The monster rose out of the water, swallowed the duck, snapped at some gulls, and then submerged. They noted it had a six-foot-long head with saw-like teeth. So that doesn't sound like a whale to me. It doesn't sound like a sea lion to me. It sounds like two hunters from the area that knew what lived in the waters saw something they couldn't explain. 
Now, I'm sure you're saying, hey, you mentioned a body. Let's skip with the sightings and let's get to the body. I'm right there with you. A Cadborosaurus carcass was taken from a sperm whale stomach. This happened in 1937 when a whaling station in Vancouver just caught and killed a sperm whale. And while removing the stomach contents at the Naden Harbor Whaling Station, they came across a 20-foot-long carcass of an unidentified creature. It had the head of a horse, a snake-like body, and a thinned, spiny tail. A photograph was taken, but no one knows exactly what happened to the actual creature's remains. No scientist can properly identify the creature in the photo, and that's very important. It does seem to have a mammalian and reptilian trait, but no one is sure what it could be. The one thing they possibly say it might be is a Zoglodon. But that explanation isn't 100% because it's much slimmer. And if you want to look that up, it's Z-E-U-G-L-O-D-O-N. Zoglodon. So anyhow, if you look at the photos, it does appear much slimmer and the head is shaped improperly to that. I'll throw this photo up on Facebook as well. It's another really well-known photo. Here's what's important. A sample of this carcass was sent to the B.C. Provincial Museum where it was tentatively identified as a fetal baleen whale by museum director Francis Kermode. Now, Francis Kermode was a museum director, not an unqualified taxidermist, as a ton of websites about caddies say. So he was a museum director. It was not 100% conclusively identified as a fetal baleen whale, though. Keep that in mind. And again, here's the problem. From there, it's unknown what happened to the rest of the body and what happened to that sample at the museum, and that bugs me every time. Here's another example of I found something extraordinary I think might be a dinosaur. Let me take this picture of it, then destroy the body. People, listeners, tell your friends, tell your family that if they ever come across a Sasquatch body or a lake monster or an alien, for the love of God, don't get rid of the body. Take a billion photos of it. Don't give it to the government. Okay? Can we all agree on that? Now, let's pause right here while we're talking about the body, because science has shown us time and time again that decomposing basking sharks look like sea serpents. In fact, I could and may even add a bunch of pictures to the Facebook page that show decomposing basking sharks that ton of websites claim are the dead bodies of lake monsters. They're official proof that lake monsters exist even after science has taken the bodies and gone, nope, dead basking shark. How about this one? Dead basking shark. Oh, but what about this one? Dead basking shark. They aren't lake monsters. Sadly, they're just dead sharks. Now, I'm not saying that Caddy, that creature found, was definitely a dead shark. There's a lot of discrepancies between the shape and the description of that body and what a lobster looks like or a decomposing shark. So let's move back on to more sightings. There is more proof about Caddy. Now, the closest sighting of Caddy was possibly taken in 1939 by Captain Paul Sowerby. Now, here's the supposed tale, and I say supposed because it seems like every website is just regurgitating this same story 
with no source ever noted. I could not find the official source of this story. So take it with a grain of salt, but here it is. Quote, we were heading north and about 30 miles offshore and saw this thing standing about four feet out of the water. So I headed over towards it and took a look at it. At first, I thought it looked like a polar bear with its ruffles of hair. Then we got right up alongside of it and the water was crystal clear. There was just this column of this thing going at least 40 feet and huge eyes. I had an old Newfoundlander as a mate, and he said, Do you see the eyes on him? Mouth and nose? I have no recollection of it at all. Just those big, great eyes. And the eyes seemed to open from top to bottom. Again, great story. I can't verify that one. But this one does seem to be a little bit more verifiable. In 1943, two police officers, Inspector Robert Owens and Staff Sergeant Jack Russell, saw a, quote, huge sea serpent with a horse-like head in Georgia Strait. Later, with a pair of binoculars, Sergeant Russell saw that the strange apparition was a huge bull sea lion leading a herd of six sea lions. Their undulations as they swam appeared to form a continuous body, with parts showing at intervals as they surfaced and dived. To the naked eye, the sight perfectly impersonated a sea monster. Yep, I believe that story. Now, what's now known as the Effingham Carcass in 1947 was the next sighting, and this was more than just a sighting. A body was found. But this body was also determined to be a decomposing basking shark after a sample was tested by scientists. This one is not a possibility. This one was a decomposing basking shark. And it wasn't just this body also. We already have two. One, big question mark. Second one, it's a shark. Let's pause here and talk about the bodies that have been found. 1930, on November 10th at Glacier Island near Valdez, a skeleton was found in ice. The skeleton was 24 feet long with flippers. Some of the remains were preserved in Cordova for scientific study. This creature... Turned out to be a whale. One off the list for Caddy. 1934, in November on Henry Island near Prince Rupert, badly decomposed remains about 30 feet long were found. Dr. Neil Carter examined the remains, and the creature was identified as a dead basking shark. Oof. Two for two for not Caddy. In 1937, in October, a purported Cadborosaurus carcass was retrieved from the stomach of a sperm whale in Nadine Harbor Harbor and photographed. This is the one I told you about earlier. Now, a sample of this carcass was sent to the B.C. Provincial Museum, like I said, but it is not conclusively a fetal baleen whale, despite what museum director Francis Kermode said. Let's put a question mark on that one. 1941. A carcass called Sarah the Sea Hag was found on Kitsilano Beach. W.A. Clemens and Ian McTaggart Cowan identified it as a shark. 1947. In December, at Vernon Bay, Barkley Sound, Vancouver Island, a 45-foot-long creature was found. And guess what that one was? If you said shark, you're right. That one's a shark as well. 1950. In De Lake, Oregon... A creature was found with four tails and thick hairs. This creature was identified as a whale shark. Obviously a badly decomposing whale shark, but a whale shark nonetheless. Moving on, 1956. Somewhere near Dry Harbor, south of Yucatan, Alaska, 
a 100-foot-long carcass was found with two-inch-long hair. Trevor Kincaid is quoted as saying, This creature fits no known creature. Here's the problem. W.A. Clemens identified the carcass as a Baird's Beak whale, not a sea monster. 1962, in April, a 14-foot-long carcass was found with an elephant-like head. The carcass was dragged ashore by Simon Peter and later thought to be an elephant seal. A 14-foot-long elephant seal? It's a big elephant seal, but it's also doable. So, not 100% elephant seal, but chances are not caddy. In September 1963, near Oak Harbor, Whidbay Island, a carcass was found with a head resembling a horse. A.D. Wielander of Fisheries said, It's a basking shark. A decomposing basking shark. So, okay, that's a whole lot of whales and a whole lot of sharks, but I'm not done with Caddy quite yet, because there's even more sightings. February 13, 1953, 10 people also reportedly saw Caddy. All of them watched it from different points of view, and they all agreed on what they were seeing. It was not sea lions playing, or logs, or a dead basking shark. It was alive. It was huge. They said it was a lake monster. These were 10 people at different viewing points, some closer, some farther, all saying the exact same thing. This is one of the best stories to me that proves that something is out there and it might be catty. Next, in August of 1968, W. Hagelin claims to have caught a baby caddy near DeCourcy Island. That's right. He says he caught a baby Cadborosaurus, and it was alive. It was a small sea creature that matched the typical caddy appearance, but obviously tinier because it was a baby. Here's the problem, though. After looking up pipefish and the description of baby caddy, I will agree that this particular baby was not Cadborosaurus, but was in fact a pipefish. A lot of people have come up with this conclusion before me, and I agree with them. Now, the scientific community and skeptics alike say pipefish is exactly what Cadborosaurus is. But here's the problem. Pipefish don't grow anywhere near the size of the thing that people are seeing over and over and over again, decade after decade. Like I said, there's over 300 sightings. And they all say the creature is huge. So yes, this one baby caddy was probably a pipefish, but that definitely does not mean all the sightings are pipefish or dead basking sharks, in my opinion. Let's move on to the next sighting. In July 1991, Phyllis Harsh claims to have caught a small two-foot-long baby caddy, but she returned it to the waters on John's Island. Now, there are no photos or proof of that, so sorry, Phyllis, next time, take a photo. I'm glad you didn't kill it. I'm glad you returned it to the waters, but no proof of that one. 2009, a Cadborosaurus video filmed by Kelly Nash is another great piece of proof. It's a short video that shows something raise its head out of the water. Now, I'm not saying it couldn't be sea lions, but these sea lions would have to be in a perfect formation to make this one so compelling. Not only that, if they are sea lions, 
Only the one in the lead ever takes its head out of the water. The others never bring their heads out. It's a long, undulating-looking thing. In my opinion, that video is not of a sea lion or multiple sea lions. So besides sharks, possible sea lions, pipefish, what else could people be seeing? Like I said earlier, the Zoiglodon. Now, a Zoiglodon is an ancient whale thought to be extinct. The only problem is, Caddy's head is described as a camel or a horse head-like, but the Zoiglodon is more of that like a snake. Now, that's not a huge problem in my mind, because even if it's a Zoiglodon, it's really freaking weird. Now, Ogopogo, the lake monster, is believed to be a Zoiglodon, but the sightings are different than what people are seeing of Caddy, so I don't know what to make of that. If it's real, it's still an amazing sighting. Like I said, there's also sea lions on this list. Uh, Oarfish. Oarfish are often mistaken as sea monsters. In fact, the drawings of sea monsters from back in the day, from when they're drawing maps and stuff, a lot of them do look like oarfish. Oarfish look like sea monsters. They technically are giant sea monsters. So I get that sighting. I get that one a lot. So what do I think? Me personally, I'm leaning. I am very leaning towards Cadborosaurus is real. People are definitely seeing something, and quite a bit too. Like I said, hundreds of sightings of something huge, and again, for hundreds of years, by experienced seamen and indigenous people alike. These are people that live in this area, that are on these waters all the time. They should know the difference between the two, especially the ones where they're very close up, or there's a lot of witnesses. In my opinion, Cadborosaurus is more compelling than Loch Ness. So, Jake, I think that your topic, A, was great, but Cadborosaurus was the best one on this list. The most compelling, to me anyway, that there might be a sea creature out there. And I do believe in Michele Mbembe, Ogopogo, even Loch Ness. I think Loch Ness had something in there. I don't know if it still does. Like I told you at the beginning of this, the news story, they're out there looking. Hopefully, they'll find something. So what do you guys think? Are there really dinosaur-like creatures still alive? Are there all these real sea monsters still out there? I don't know. What do you think? You guys think I'm done with sea monsters? Well, I have a bunch all lined up for a follow-up edition, including, obviously, Nessie, because I didn't bring her up, Morag, which is in Loch Morar in Scotland, Lagerfjot worm in Lagerfjot, Iceland. I don't want to do that one because I don't like saying Lagerfjot. Ogopogo, the one I talked about, that's in Canada. Lariosoro in Lake Como, Italy. Champ in Lake Champlain, another very popular one. Memfre in Lake Memfre Magog in Canada. Nahuleto in Argentina. Monster of Lake Tota in Lake Tota, Colombia. Lake Van Monster in Lake Van, Turkey, Inkanyamba from South Africa, Tahotesi in Lake Tahoe, Pepe in Lake Pepin, United States, Flathead Lake Monster in Flathead Lake, Montana, Mokele Mbembe from the Congo, and the Gloucester Sea Monster from Massachusetts, which might even be its own episode. And those are just to name a few. There are a ton of of sea creatures that are spotted to this day. So again, this list might have debunked more than it proved, but I personally think 
Cadborosaurus is real, and we have not seen the last of them. I'm Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Lake Monsters of the USA From Cape Cod to Massachusetts All across America Snazzed,